0: Proverbs 25 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. I don't know if you have ever had one of those moments with God where He does something really out of the box. And still, to this day, years later, it makes little or no sense to you what on earth it was about. Well, two years ago, I was living full time doing music, um, and Katie and I, my wife, we would, we'd been traveling the world and playing music and praying for people and sharing conversations like this over the table in Germany, and America, in Uganda, Australia, New Zealand, and we came back from one trip, and it was it was as if everything just came crashing down. It was like walking into a muddy blanket of hardness, and. We, for like a few years, been experiencing these really miraculous um, ex- provisions financially, right? Because we were living by 100% living, just trusting that God week to week would provide for us. And most of the time it would be Monday night, lying in bed, rent's coming out. We've got no idea where the money's going to come from. There's like 10 bucks in our account. And then I wake up in the morning and the money's coming. Hundreds is coming, have come in from somewhere. Rent's gone out. We've woken up and been like, "Whoo, thank you, Lord. Anyway, so we'd experienced that for a few years. And then this it was as if it just stopped. It completely stopped. And we were struggling to get by. And so I picked up some extra work and I would work and earn money. And man, it didn't matter how much I earned. I could bring in like thousands and thousands in one week. And it would go instantly overnight with something every single time a car would break the washing machine, random bills, stuff just came out of nowhere and then I started to get sick and unable to work and In the midst of this, what was crazy about it would be that everywhere I went and did a show, like I would do tours, and on those tours it would be as almost as if two or three people after every show would come up to me and say, "Strawn." I just want you to know, this is going to sound strange, but I really felt like God telling me to encourage you, do not stop doing what you're doing. Don't give up. The cost is worth it. Keep going. (laughs) Or I'd speak at a a church community or something like that. Or someone from America would email me and just say, hey, uh, I don't know if you um, have other people praying for you, but I've been praying for you and I just felt to encourage you, don't stop. So every time that I would go, I quit this thing, I can't do this, God's not in this, I would get this onslaught of beautiful messages from people encouraging me not to give up. Well, one year it was getting bad, and Katie and I were um, we were going into Christmas, and one our eldest son he was at daycare, and Katie had come home and she was distraught because we couldn't get anything for the kids, and we were just feeling low. And we had one of those moments where we we're both just you know, puffy eyed tears, kneeling on the ground. Just exhausted from the whole situation, and I hadn't eaten, and it was like three o'clock in the afternoon, and I had to go pick my son up, and I had these puffy eyes, and I was feeling so down, and I didn't want to walk into his daycare looking that way, so I said, "Look, I'm—I I need to eat something. We had no food at home. I'm going to go and buy a gluten-free pie, which is like six bucks." So I go to the supermarket to get this pie. I'm wearing my sunglasses. I'm still crying. I'm like—I'm a, a total wreck. I'm lost. And I get to the front of the line, and just before I'm about to pay, the person in front of me turns around and says, Are you strong? And I said, Yeah, I am strong. I had no idea who he was. And he, he just turned to the till, till uh, person and said, I, w- I want to buy this man's pie. And as you can imagine, I'm like tearing up real bad right now. I'm like, Why are you doing that? And he simply turned to me and said, I know who you are. I've heard of what you're doing, and I want you to know, God's with you. Be encouraged. Don't give up. <laughs> right. So I'm like, dude, you've got no idea what this means to me right now, and uh, I'm a bit of a mess. He takes me outside. He lays his hands on me. He prays for me, and I'm like, weeping and wailing outside the the Burger King drive through. Right. People must be looking at me, going, like, dude. Um, and he puts some money in my hands, and he goes home. And it's the only time I've ever met that guy. And I rung up Katie just in tears and I said, Babe, we can't give up. Because on the way to get the pie, I'd given in and I'd said, You know what? I'm going to call my uncle. I'm going to ask for a job. And just as I rung up to inquire about the job, I felt God say, Don't ask yet. Ask in an hour. This is 10 minutes before my pie situation. I was right at the end of myself. And then God spoke And this guy prays for me, gives me money, and gives me this word of encouragement. What's amazing about that whole thing? I mean, that's amazing. But the thing that really struck me was that we spent that money in like an hour and a half. We did a grocery shop, we paid some bills, we put a little bit in for rent. We woke up the next morning in exactly the same financial strife as the day before. And it wasn't the only time it happened. You know, Many times people would come up and just put 50 bucks in my hand out of nowhere or off the street and someone would say, "Strawn, don't give up. And it would always be the same day that I say, I quit this thing. I quit this thing. God is clearly not with us. And I came to this realization that God is total and utter mystery. There is a way of knowing God without knowing Him at all if that makes any sense to you, because it makes perfect sense to me. The Hebrews have this thing called the law of first mentions. And it's the idea that the first time something's mentioned in Scripture becomes the rule or the the prototype or the definition for understanding that thing any other moment in the biblical history. It's quite helpful. It becomes the foundation that all other kind of revelation is built upon. Well, the very first book of the Bible ever written, the oldest book that we have, is the book of Job. And Job is a book about suffering. And not only is Job a book about suffering, but it's a book in which the whole thing is about suffering, yet God never answers the reason. He never answers Job's question for why he suffers. Job goes through so much struggle, so much difficulty, and God is totally silent. And it basically ends with God saying, I am God. And Job is restored simply by the revelation that God is who he is. And I think it's amazing that the first book that we have, the first communique, the first written word or the first story that we have of how God engages with the humanity is that you will go through stuff and you're not going to always understand why. But I am good. I'm your creator and I'm here. And that's the mystery of God. In a way, it's being able to know Him totally for who He is while holding lightly what He does and what He is. And I feel like so often in our faith what we try to do is quantify all of God's commands and then quantify all of God Himself. But I think philosophically, just looking at the concept of God, Creator, outside us, outside our knowledge, all-knowing, it's like Isaiah 55 says, My ways aren't your ways. You can't possibly understand my mind because I'm just so far out of your framework, out of your gridwork work, that you can't even fathom who I am. Yet we try and apply the same rules that we do to God's commands and, the, and His law and the Scripture and all that stuff to His person. But God is not totally quantifiable. You can't take the nature of God... And and put him in some kind of uh, slot machine theology, where you know that he will do for you what you want, when you want, if you do this. It's just it's weird. It's idolatry. It's it's just like all of the ancient gods. God is different. And I love the story in uh, in Exodus where Moses has this encounter with God, and he's the, the Israelites, he's gone down the mountain from getting the law. And there the Israelites are worshiping a golden calf. He's only been gone 40 days. Smashes those tablets, goes back. And him and God have this kind of discussion. And God's like, I'm going to leave these people. i send an angel out before you. And God's like, no, no, I, it has to be you. And promise me you'll come with us. Don't destroy our people. Don't destroy us. And God listens to him and he says, okay. And then at the end of this conversation, Moses says to God, show me your glory. And I can imagine in that space, what Moses is asking is like, show me your majesty, show me your godness, what you look like, your throne room, I don't know. You know, When I think show me your glory, I'm thinking like the expanse of God and all of this thing, this majesty. And God's response to him is really interesting. God responds by saying, I will make my goodness pass before you. And what God actually does is not show Moses the entirety of his being. In fact, he says to Moses, I'm sorry, but you can't see me or you will die. Nobody sees my face and dies, but you can see my back. So I'll pass before you. I'll put you in the cleft of a rock and I'll pass before you. I'll cover your face. And then when I've passed by, I'll, I'll lift my hand off your face and you will see my glory and I'll declare my name. And he basically says, I, the Lord, Lord, the God of goodness and compassion and kindness and faithfulness, So Moses is here asking to see God's glory. And God's response to that, my glory is who I am. It's my nature. It's my person. And otherwise, in other words, there is no tangible aspect of my presence and my my character that you can see and quantify. But you can experience my person. And if I let you experience my person, I'm letting in you into the greatest truth in creation. I'm letting you as close as you can ever come to knowing the meaning of life and truth and power and love. And I feel like it's a great way of understanding these two dynamics in our life, where we can seek God for His glory, the things that He gives us, right? We can seek things, we want miracles, we want healing, we want Him to answer this question or answer that question. But God is far more interested in revealing His person to us, His goodness, in our experiencing who He is. And to me, that's the mystery of God. Because to be in relationship with God is to to live in the tension of mystery. And the reason I told that story earlier about my experience with the pie was that in all of this time, God never told me. He never made it clear to me why we were struggling so much there was never a word of hope. No one ever said to me after saying don't give up because dot, 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 God is doing this, this or that. And he, I still don't know. It's two and a half years ago. It's been two and a half years of being sick and all of these kinds of things and run down and whatever. Yet God's never explained to me why. I have no idea why. But in the midst of these years... I let go of the answers, of needing the answers. I let go of all of the quantifiable tangibilities that I was seeking and thought that I needed and embraced a relationship with the goodness of God. And that's why I would never replace these years for anything, because in this time, I feel as though I've actually known Him, greater than I ever have before, just as a friend. That's the mystery of being the poetry of God. That's the mystery of it. And what's amazing is in this whole image, you know, of course God doesn't have a face, by the way, or a hand. You know, Greeks think, function, sorry. Hebrews think function and Greeks think form. So we we really struggle. When we hear the hand of God or the face of God, we're immediately imagining a face or a hand. But the Hebrews don't. They think functionality. What is the function of the face? What is the function of the hand? You know, staring into God's face is to stare directly into his eyes, into um, his person. And later on it says Moses spoke to God face to face. But that's different, of course. He's not talking about God having an actual face. It was referring to intimacy. So God places his hand over Moses' eyes and Moses in the cleft of a rock. And of course that image is an image of the type of Jesus that we are now in the rock, Jesus. And we get to, as we hide in the cleft of him, experience only and totally the goodness of God. Not to die in his presence, not to, not to be overwhelmed so much that we cease to exist or whatever might have happened to Moses when God says, you know, no one looks at my face. But we get to sit there, in that rock and experience the beauty and the goodness of God. But we also get to experience His mystery, in that our primary focus will always be on God's nature and allowing all of these other things, though we seek them out, to be held in the tension of God's love, so that we can say, God, I want to know the answer. I want to know why I want answers to this season in my life. But if I don't get answers and I do have you, then that's enough. right where we started with Proverbs 25.2. It's actually God's personality. It's who He is. It's His exciting invitation to make things hidden. Proverbs 25.2 to me could be my own personal definition of science. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. That to me is what science is. Science is God concealing quantum mechanics, quantum physics theory of relativity, gravity, all of these things for us to discover because in discovering it we are discovering not only God's mind but our minds. We're discovering, discovering the beauty and the capability that He's created us with. But in our lives and who God is is this, God does hide Himself from us. He hides different parts of Himself for us so that we will discover it. In the same way that we kind of hide aspects of ourselves to those who are not close to us, right? We don't, we don't go up to a, somebody who we know hates us and give them our most intimate details. We keep those intimate details for people who are close to us, who we want to give away intimacy to, who we feel that we can be vulnerable to. And that comes with time and relationship. Well, God's the same. There is a general revelation that God has for us. He's displayed His beauty and His love and His grace in creation. He causes the sun to rise and the rain to fall on the good and the evil for one reason, that everyone would know that God is patient and He loves the evil exactly the same as He loves the good. He displays His wisdom in that way. And then He's given us Jesus and the Scripture and people. But there are deeper parts of Him, deeper parts of His goodness, of His his personality that are made for relationship only. And it's His glory to hide it and it's our glory to find it in other words he loves to hide it because when things are hidden that we have to search for and find we value those things so much more anyone who's dated a lot and, and or or fallen been with you know around lots of other people and then finally found the love of their life and got married knows what that feels like or anybody who's longed for this per, like particular career path and they've worked hard, they've got a degree, or they've been an apprentice, or they've studied, and it's cost them so much. They've not been very well off because they've been paying off their student fees and working part-time or full-time. They're exhausted, and they get that job. They know that those things are so much more worthy of our appreciation and love and gratefulness than things that that easily come to us. So the mystery element of this is that God is saying, what you know about me is not even on the surface. It's so far from even touching the surface. But I have hidden things deep down that by walking with me in mystery, by making me your priority, by searching me out, you will find treasures of truth that you never thought existed. I think dreams are a really good example of this. Now, I know dreams freak people out. I keep having these conversations with people where I talk about dream interpretation and they freak out. So if that's you... Just hold on for a minute, okay? It's, I'm, I'm a normal person. Trust me. Um, but in this last two years, almost not, without choice, I have just had these dreams. And in some of those dreams, God has come in and spoken to me. In other dreams, they're more like movies or pictures. And it's become one of the primary ways that I've learned to make decisions in my life and to walk with God. And a dream is something to me that it's like a seed planted, And the seed goes in and you have this experience and then you search it out. You search out the symbols or the people or the circumstance or the colors or the events. And it's as if the more time you spend trying to understand this this parable, this night parable that God has given me, the more I discover of this nuance of God. And if I just take the dream at face value, it might apply to one thing at one moment. But I have dreams from like six or seven years ago that I still find God speaking to me about today, that is still plunging the the truth of my life and my soul and God's engagement with me. And that's the mystery of God. To have God is to hold both intention, the life that we live, the things that we go through, and knowing that God may never give us the context for it, but choosing to enjoy and take hold of and possess the goodness of God in the midst of it. And it's about discovering them and searching them out in the places that we never normally would.